Howdy. My name is Danny Stimson, and I'm a college intern here at Grace Bible Church. And Matt Morton has retired from the pastorate, and so um, he's turned it over to the interns. So here we are. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He's, he's at home being a good dad. He spoke uh, all morning uh, for Brian Fisher, so he asked me to fill in, and uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited. Um, I'm hoping to go into ministry myself and uh, do some preaching, so this is an awesome opportunity for me to be able to be here. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, which I hope you do, if you don't, it's okay. God is a God of forgiveness. Open it up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at, at verses 18 to 25 tonight. It says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these students who came out. Um, I pray over them that they would finish the semester strong, God, and that you would give them discipline to seek you amidst that. Uh, Father, be with us tonight uh, as we study your word. Speak through me. May I fade into the back and uh, your spirit speak through me. Uh, We love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, about two and a half years ago, I started dating my now wife, Andrea. Now, that's a picture that I found on Facebook uh, of us actually the night we started dating, but I hadn't told her yet. So I couldn't, it was, it's too creepy. But anyways, uh, so about two and a half years ago, uh, I finally emotionally vomited upon her with all of my feelings that I had pinned up over the past year. I had liked her since the day I met her, but unfortunately she was dating another guy at the time. And so I endured nine months of that. And then three more months of, uh, her not being with anyone, healing, as uh, my mentor Marty called it. Um, and so, anyways, my mentor asked me, Marty asked me, he's a former intern, he asked me about a month in, he said, Danny, how's your relationship going with Andrea? And so I told him, it's going pretty good. And he, he asked me if I had set up any physical boundaries yet. And I was like, well, you know, things are going pretty good. I haven't even, even thought about that. And he was like, What? And you thought Satan himself was sitting in the corner, like smoking a cigarette, thinking amateur, you know, like ready to pounce on me. But I didn't realize what I got myself into. I didn't realize, I didn't know necessarily that I was going to marry this girl. But what I had to come to grips with was we were going to be waiting. Uh, We're going to be waiting and holding off until our our, our wedding day. And so we we entered into this, this battle, so to speak. And so for 392 days, we dated, okay? 392 days, we persevered, and we waited, and we hoped for the wedding day. Then we got engaged, and I thought, it's going to be easy. False. It's, it's even harder when you get engaged. And 
So for 237 more days, we, we waited, we hoped, we persevered. And the Lord gave us victory in that area. And I, I definitely caught myself several nights just going home at night and just, just yelling out, why do we have to wait? It's, it's hard. It's hard. If it, is anyone else dating in here? Doesn't want to admit it? Okay. Well, uh, hopefully you're finding victory as well. Um, and hopefully your days are less than 629 like mine. But in a nutshell, so, so we were struggling 629 days. And then on June 13th of 2009, this last summer, uh, I finally realized why. I stood down at the front of the church with my groomsmen and then the pastor and our friends and family sat in the audience and the doors opened with the music and Andrea walked down the aisle uh, in her white dress and looking more beautiful than I'd ever seen her. And we looked into each other's eyes and we realized this is why we waited. We waited 629 days for this day. We persevered. The Lord gave us victory in the area of sexual purity, and we were able to uh, wait. Much the same, I think, in Romans chapter 8, Paul is telling us that we're in waiting. That this life is not a life to be built up for ourselves. This life is, is meant, and we're supposed to wait until one day when Christ comes again and, and retrieves us, and we're able to be with him. So tonight my prayer has been, uh, over the past couple of weeks, that God will help us to adjust our worldview from trying to see the world in light of what we want it to be to a viewpoint of what the Bible actually says it is. So many of you are in here tonight, and maybe it's not dating, maybe it's something else, maybe it's depression, maybe it's uh, another struggle that you have. And I know that you guys, we all have struggles. And so my prayer has been that you'll walk away tonight with a new worldview, hopefully. A worldview that is biblical and a worldview that says, I'm, I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait until Christ comes to get me. So we're going to look at Romans 8 tonight, but uh, Romans is a big book, several chapters, and so it's hard to kind of get the context. So I thought I would kind of sum it up with a couple key verses. The first one is Romans 1, 21 and 24. It's not through 24. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And so the beginning of Romans starts off pointing out mankind's depravity pointing out the fact that we decided to choose four-footed creatures, the animals, the creation, over the creator. So it sets the pace. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the sin of worshiping the creator, or sorry, the creature over the creator, has separated us from God, and now we are fallen short of God's glory. But the next verse has a lot of hope. It says, Being justified as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God didn't leave us in our depravity. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth to die for us. And when Christ died, God was able to pass over the sins previously committed. 
One chapter later, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only are we made right, the word justified means to be declared righteous, we also have peace with God through Christ. Romans 6, 20 to 22 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're no longer slave to sin, but you're free from it. And now you're a slave to righteousness. And this is what this life is about. It's about sanctification. And ultimately the outcome is eternal life. The hope of sanctification is eternal life. And then Paul cries out in Romans chapter seven. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of his death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So Paul, maybe in his mind, theologically has understood sin. I made right in Christ. I'm supposed to be sanctified. But then he realizes the reality is this is a struggle. This is a big time struggle. And he cries out, wretched man that I am. In Christ, he recognizes that Christ has set him free. And then the chapter we're going to be in tonight says in verse 10 and verse 22, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. So verse 22 sets us up for this section of scripture that we're going to study tonight. That's actually supposed to be verse 17. That if we suffer with Christ, we'll be glorified with him. And so we're going to, we're going to study a little bit tonight about what it means to suffer with Christ, like Christ, in hope of what's to come. And if you don't walk away with anything else tonight, I hope you walk away with this. Understanding that you will suffer in this life. It's unavoidable. But with eternal life with Christ as the hope we have in the future, the suffering is worth it. The Bible says so, so we should live so. If you're here tonight and you think that you thought that getting into the Christian life was going to be a piece of cake, I want to be the one to tell you tonight that that's not the case. It's not what the Bible says, and I don't think that's what we should be living by. So the first uh, set of verses we're going to look at is verses 18 to 22. Paul starts off by saying, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This paragraph is Paul's diagnosis of a disease that we have on earth. He starts off by telling us that the earth was subjected to futility in verse 20. I switched up the order because I think it flows just a little bit better. I'm not, don't condemn me, Lord. But uh, I started off with that part because it traces all the way back uh, to the creation. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the garden, Adam and Eve were perfect with God. They were, they were not sinning. But then, we all know the story, Satan tempted Eve and she ate of the fruit and gave to her husband and he ate. 
and uh, because Satan told them that they would be make, made like God, and then they were kicked out of the garden. God had to punish sin. Futility in the Greek is matiotes, which means devoid of truth or depravity. That, so the, the creation was subjected to depravity. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says three times that God gave them over, gave them over, God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to degrading passions, and to a depraved mind. The idea is that sin disgusts God and it must be punished. I think, especially in America, I think in the church today, we have a a poor view of sin and depravity. We think, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I've lived a pretty good life. So when I come to Jesus, it's kind of like, oh, just put him in the back pocket. I'm, I'm good to go. Just adding on to what righteousness I already have. But the reality is that we are all just like Adam. Um, no one is unique in the fact that they're born any better than anybody else. Everyone is born into sin. And so understanding this verse is understanding the gap between us and God, that we're so depraved, we're so evil, and God is so holy. And so when we sinned against a perfectly holy God, sin had to be punished in a massive way. Some people would say that subjecting the entire world from the beginning to the end is a little bit of an overreaction. But if you really come to understand the holiness of God and and the heinousness of sin, you'll you'll be able to really grasp that verse. I was reading in uh, Psalms, and in uh, chapter 18, this 18th Psalm, verse 7, says this, Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundation of the mountains were trembling and were shaken, because he was angry. The entire created order has been disrupted by sin. And so even the things that occur around the world, the natural disasters, uh, are, are, can all be traced back to the fall. And creation was subjected to depravity. But the cool thing about God is that he didn't just subject it to futility, and God is not an angry drunk, so to speak. God is not acting militantly, not thinking about what he's doing, simply because he's angry. He acts the way he does, because of the heinousness of sin. But the cool thing is the last two verses in verse 20 are in hope. God subjected the world to futility in hope, and it goes into 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Some may say that this verse in verse 20 says, he subjected it to futility. Some might say that that might be Adam, that when Adam sinned, that That subjected the world to futility. Some may say it's Satan. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and so he subjected the world to futility. But I'm pretty sure that Adam and the devil would not subject the world to futility in hope. God is the only one who can justly condemn sin, but yet have a plan for the future and a plan for hope. And ultimately, it's a plan for redemption. So the creation is not only subjected to futility, but in verse 19, we understand that that the creation is is anxiously awaiting. So God subjected the world to futility. He subjected it in, in hope. And then this is how the world, this is how the creation hopes. It waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The Greek word uh, for revealing is apocalypto. And that's the, the base of that word. It means to reveal that which has been hidden. It's where we get our English word apocalypse. That when man sinned and we went from being perfectly in relationship with God to 
being sinners and depraved that God, in a sense, hid his plan. He, in a sense, hid what he was doing from creation. And so now, the, literally the creation, the created order is groaning and awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. God had a plan of redemption from the beginning. In the Old Testament, you see it in, in Israel. In the New Testament, you see it in the church. God is redeeming his people. And then ultimately, the final, the final showdown, God is going to, re- I think, the way I view it is literally pull back the curtain and let us see, let creation see his sons and daughters. And then skip down to verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So not only is the created order uh, awaiting eagerly the revealing of the sons of God, it's also enduring birth pains. Now that seems like an interesting imagery, but I think this whole section is always pointing back to the fall. It's always pointing back to the original sin. And we all know the curse of Eve. She was to experience pain in childbirth. But the cool thing about childbirth is that, uh, I don't know from experience, but I've, I've heard that Birth pains are some of the most excruciating things. I was actually trying to kind of look up just what it is that causes birth pains. And reading about a contraction made me want to throw up. But it's, it's excruciating. Your body, the woman's body, is preparing itself to give birth to a child. But the great thing about uh, childbirth is that it's not pain for no reason. It's not like... She, it's not like she's just experiencing this pain once in a life and, or a couple times in her life for nothing. She's, she's experiencing the pain to give birth to a child. That if you ask, I think if you ask any woman who's given birth, the beauty of it is she, she had hope even amidst the pain. That she uh, was willing to endure the pain because she knew that the one, one day the pain would be over and that she'd be able to hold her child and she'd be able to hold that life that she struggled to bring into the world. And I think that's, that's the imagery Paul's trying to, to convey here is that although the world is, seems destructive, earthquakes, just natural disasters, things happen, wind blows and, and destroys things, the earth shifts constantly, and it, you see the effects of sin. But ultimately, those are simply birth pangs. The earth is crying out and waiting for the day when the sons of God will be revealed. So nature is suffering because of the fall. Paul is diagnosing the, the depth of the problem of sin. So nature is suffering, but so are believers. Paul says in verse 23, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There are people in the world that, uh, would consider themselves deists. They believe that there is a higher power. They believe that there is a creator and that God created the, the earth. He created the world. And then much like a clockmaker, simply hit the pendulum and now the, or maybe spun the earth on its axis and is leaving it to its own fate. That there is a higher power, they'll, they'll acknowledge that, but basically anything in the Bible, they're, they're not going to believe that. And I, I, just, I couldn't help but think, how hopeless is that view? Although you believe in a creator, all the suffering that takes place on the earth, all the death, all the violence, all the things that are occurring, there's nobody watching over it. Or there's nobody intervening and interacting with the creation. It's they're simply sitting back and watching. 
what's going on. So that's one false view. Another false view or idea of creation or what's going on today is that once you believe in Christ, all of a sudden your life is going to be better. All of a sudden um, you're going to walk into the Lord's blessing and you're going to be rich or maybe you're going to never get sick. Or if you do get sick, all you have to do is ask God and he'll heal you. But I think that's, that's an unbiblical diagnosis of what's going on. I think we have to understand that God is intricately involved and also that we as believers are going to suffer. Paul, I think, was fighting against some of the false teaching of, in Rome that once you, once you become a Christian, your life's a piece of cake, that you can live however you want and that ultimately God's going to bless you. And I think that's what we got going on today in some of the churches in America and abroad, that all you have to do is become a Christian and then all God's going to do is bless you. And so when people will get cancer or people will get sick and die, uh, maybe that's because they didn't have enough faith or maybe they weren't a Christian. And that's so depressing to think about because there's no hope in suffering then. There's no hope in the fact that God didn't answer your prayer to heal you and you're left dying on your deathbed with no hope. But just as the created order is suffering, so are we. Sometimes life requires us to suffer severe physical pain. Sometimes it requires us to suffer tragic loss or encounter radical persecution because of our beliefs. I think we live in a pretty safe country, so a lot of times it's simply witnessing death and witnessing horrible things. And we're young, several of us are, we're all young college students or fresh out of college. And we haven't necessarily experienced some of this suffering. We haven't, uh, but we probably know people who have. We probably have relatives who've died or maybe they have Alzheimer's or cancer struggling. But what, what, this, what this passage conveys is that they're not suffering in vain. If they, if they hope in Christ, if they've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that's a, that's a part of the deal. Sin destroys the body and God renews the soul. And then one day we'll have hope with renewed bodies. I think it's important to understand that. Another thing that dispels the deist idea is that the hope of redemption that God ushered forth from the beginning, he subjected the world to futility in hope, involves our Trinitarian God. It involves all members of the Trinity. If you're not familiar with the Trinity, I won't try to really get into it other than say that our God is three in one. Three persons within one God. Um, And these three persons act differently, but yet united. So it really didn't get you anywhere. But what you see throughout scripture from the beginning in Genesis until Revelation is that initially the father punished sin and crafted the plan of redemption and hope. Then he sent his son, Jesus, who came to die for sin and be resurrected to conquer death and give us life. And then when Christ left, he sent his spirit to be our guide on the earth and to be our deposit of inheritance for eternal life. That's what you see in verse 23, that we have the first fruits of the spirit. That doesn't really make sense. You think we just have the whole spirit. I mean, I think we have the power of the Holy Spirit, but in a sense, you, you couldn't understand that our souls have been renewed, but our bodies haven't. So all of our suffering that we are going to endure, it's inevitable, can, be, can have much hope with the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul 
talks about this in 2 Corinthians as well. It's all over the scripture, but this is one of them. It says, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So you see this purpose of God, and that he gave us his Spirit. And that right now, every one of us is groaning within ourselves, desiring to be one day be clothed with our immortal bodies, but we've got to wait We've got to wait and we've got to stop trying to make our life the best that it can be and stop trying to make our bodies what it's not going to be. I mean, I think you can work out, maybe take some vitamins, do whatever you want to do. But ultimately, understanding that none of that stuff is going to get you anywhere when it comes to eternity and that we are called to, to hope in things that we can't see and we're going to find that out in a minute. So creation the created order is waiting for our revealing while we wait for our adoption and ultimately the redemption of our bodies. And if you're here tonight and you've never, don't really understand, you've never really had this worldview of understanding the depravity of this earth and understanding the heinousness of sin and the fact that the only way to get to God is through his son Christ and his death and resurrection. If maybe you think you're an exception to the rule that you're born into a good family and so all you need to do is come to church and do the rituals and you're good to go. But we, we know from Romans 5.12 says this, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. Every one of you is a sinner and every one of you needs a savior. And if you're never fully trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I would ask you to mentally and emotionally and spiritually wrap your mind around that, that reality. Um, and, and if you're curious or have any more questions, I would love to talk to you after the service. So we've learned that creation's groaning, enduring the pains of childbirth, and that as believers, we're suffering and struggling and enduring for the day. Well, how do we do it? Well, Paul's going to tell us In verses 24 to 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. How do we wait and suffer well? First, I think we need to remember that hope is in things that we can't see. The hope that we have can't be grasped this side of heaven. The hope can only be experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit and one day will be realized physically when Christ returns. And so it's remembering that every time you sprain your ankle, every time you get the flu, every time you you witness something tragic happen, understand that the fix is not just to get healed. The fix is not just to try to make things better physically. The hope is that you, you will hope in Christ and hope And one day, getting to heaven, to Christ. So that's what brings us hope, not making this world a physically better place. So remembering that. And also, when you hope, it motivates perseverance. You know, whenever you see a big marathon on TV, um, you always see those guys at the front, and they're ready, and they got their watches. 
and then the gun goes off. They start their watches and then they start running. But what you don't ever see is start the watch and then just sit and they hope and they pray. And they say, I hope I can get there. I hope maybe, maybe I'll get there. No, they don't. They run. They run the race. They, they try in a sense. And I think that's what Paul is saying, that when you hope in the right things, when you hope in Christ, when you hope in the things that you can't see, it, it leads you to running the race. So remembering will cause us to hope in things we can't see and hoping motivates us to persevere. There's a verse a couple chapters back in Romans chapter five, verses three to five. It says this, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proving character and proving character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy spirit who was given to us. If you hope in your tribulation, you'll experience this cycle the cycle that perseverance breeds per, uh, proven character, proven character hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And what you're going to find is you're going to find a cycle. Hoping, persevering, waiting. Hoping, persevering, maybe crying, waiting. Constantly. And that, that's, that's our life. And so if you're always looking to the next thing, to satisfy you. If you're always looking, man, just got to graduate, get that sweet six-figure job, and I'm good. Get some retirement. Start investing in some stocks. That, that'll, that'll bring me joy. When I finally have money, I don't have to worry about it anymore. That'll be good. Maybe once I get married, that'll be good. That, that'll, that'll make my life better. I may have kids, grandkids maybe. What, and you're always looking to the next thing to satisfy you and to give you hope. And those things are all good but they're the best if they're experienced with the realization that one day we're going to be with Christ. One day, none of this stuff is going to matter because we're going to be in the presence of God. So it's a cycle. So what's our application? What, what's, what's practical about this message? Got, got just three things for you. I think that's the classic preacher way. Three applications. Not as the Lord. It's supposed to be ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to search your heart and reveal where you're placing your hope. I hope you came here tonight. Maybe, maybe you're, on the good, you're on the path of hoping in things that you can't see. Maybe you've been through a lot. Maybe you've been through a lot and you've, you've realized that the only hope is in Christ. Maybe you've never really suffered and you're only placing your hope in things that you can see and your degree and getting a job and your girlfriend or boyfriend or family. Ask the Lord uh, tonight and the coming days to search your heart and to reveal where you're placing your hope. Next is to look for ways to give your material possessions. I think it's just a practical way to let yourself know uh, that these things aren't that important to me. I don't think that you necessarily have to give everything or you know some people are called to that, but I think just simply coming into the habit of giving your material possessions. If you go to lunch with somebody, just buy their lunch. Buy somebody coffee. Um, it's just any, any tangible way you can think of to give of your money. We live in a very wealthy country, and I think one of the biggest testimonies we can give is to, to know that our, our, our grip is not that tight on our money. Our, our grip is not that tight on what we have. And lastly, it's hope, wait, and persevere in community. That although this seems like a very individual call, 
that we're to wait, hope, and persevere. You guys are here tonight, hopefully because you have friends who are here tonight, and hopefully you're plugged in to this church. And maybe you've been hesitating or maybe you've been waiting. Um, Guess what? Guilt trip. Get involved in a church. If not here, get involved in another church. Get involved in a community of believers that is chasing after the same thing. It's chasing after hope in Christ and, and eternal life. Also, find accountability in that. If you're here tonight and you don't have anyone who knows you personally and intimately, if you don't, if you don't have anybody who you're sharing your struggles with and sharing life with, I'm not asking you just to go and just go to the priest and, and confess your sin to your accountability partner, but you know, l- live life with somebody. Let someone who has a, who has a flashlight that can come in on your life and see the dark corners of your life. And so I think if we do these things, we can be able to, we'll be able to write or, or speak like Paul when he started off this section. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We can cry that out to the Lord. We can cry that out to fellow believers. We can cry that out to non-believers and say, yes, I have cancer, but it doesn't matter because the sufferings of this world don't compare. I don't know if you guys have been following Matt Chandler's um, he's a pastor in Dallas. He got brain cancer and it hasn't slowed him down a bit. He's preaching. He's going after it. He's posting these videos. He's got this huge scar on his head and he is preaching the word. He's bringing the heat even amidst his suffering. What a testimony because you're going to suffer. It's unavoidable. And so instead of being scared and in the corner, waiting to be, to suffer, just, just walk boldly in the Lord. And then when you do suffer, give Lord to him. And wait and hope in him. And once again, just the mantra of the night. You will suffer in this life but with eternal life with Christ is the hope we have in the future. The suffering is worth it. So the Bible says so and so we should live so. So we're gonna have, I'm going to have um, Josh come back up and uh, play a song. Uh, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. And so I want us just to stand and worship together. And uh, sing these words out in confession to the Lord. And if you just need to sit and, and, and think and dwell on these things, feel free to do whatever you want. But uh, I think Josh would appreciate a good standing crowd. Awesome. Would you guys pray with me to close? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your scripture. It's so clear. It tells us how to live. Father, I pray that we would find our hope in Christ and in nothing else. Thank you for salvation through him and the power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Father, I pray that these students would go out and affect the campus for Christ. That you would give them the strength they need to represent you and to suffer well in this life in hope of eternal life with you. Father, we love you and we trust you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.